0: i the ladies room, I don't need this, I'll be back Ha ha, <laughs> <laughs> to the ladies room
1: We need to talk Use the ladies room
0: Welcome into another episode of The Ladies' Room. I'm your host, Julie DeCaro, along with Jane McManus. We are here to talk about sports and other stuff. Uh, so we're recording this on Wednesday. So obviously, we just had the inauguration this morning. Jane, did you watch the inauguration? I listened to it. I was
1: in route. So Oh, luckily, how very you know. NPR of you. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, it was totally CNN. I'm serious. <laughs> oh, uh, I listened to MSNBC in the car, so I get it. Yeah, exactly. So I got to I got to hear it. I heard the amazing um, poem by Amanda, the young woman who is the National Youth uh, Poet Laureate. Yes. Just I mean, so I think there are a couple of things for that that really came through to me. Um, One is that, um, you know, black people have often been the most vocal about making America hold fast to her promise of equality. And so to have a young Black poet talking about the promise of America, it was just a very hopeful moment. Um, Amanda
0: Gorman is her name. And she, first of all, she was the most immaculate put together, immaculately put together person at the entire inauguration. She was (laughs) stunning looking. She had a birdcage ring on, which I think was an homage to Maya Angelou. Sure. Um, She was, the way she delivered the poem was incredibly, um, passionate. I just and I was like, she's twenty two. I would have thrown up if I had to do that at twenty two. I would probably throw
1: <laughs> up now, right? It, she just she did set the tone, and I think it just it felt like a real turning of a page. I I don't know about you, Julie, but I'm always um, so so I do lean left of center on a lot of social issues. I don't feel like though that I necessarily, as a journalist, want to root for a particular political party. Or for a uh, particular president, necessarily. Now, do I think that Joe Biden was a better candidate than Donald Trump? Yes, without question. But I think that there were so many things that were uh, bad about the last four years when it comes to, you know, the environment or, uh, you know, fairness in housing. like the Muslim, I mean, there's so many different things that happened that I think were completely beyond what a political party stands for or what a person should be doing. So it I, it almost feels to me like the Donald Trump era was not about politics. It was clearly about race and grievance and misogyny. And to me, that's not a political issue. That's an identity issue and one that seeks to exclude. So I almost separate out the Donald Trump stuff um, for that reason. But I I don't want to get too rah rah with Joe Biden. You know, I mean, I kind of feel like I feel like there's hope. Yes. And I feel like obviously he'll take the COVID stuff more seriously. And that's important. But I also kind of want to see what's going to happen and what his policies are going to be and how he's going to implement them and whether or not there's going to be accountability for crimes and how, what that's going to look like. And so I don't know. I don't know. How do you how do you feel about that? First of all, I completely agree with everything you said. I won't insult our listeners by
0: saying that I lean left of center. Like they know I'm like way <laughs> left of center. Um, anyone who follows me on Twitter or has ever heard me on the radio knows that. Um, I, you know, what I have found myself, Joe Biden was far from my preferred candidate. Um, I still struggle with the sexual assault allegation. I don't know what to make of that. Um, I'm not ready to say, you know, this woman is a liar. Um, and I've sort of had to set it aside. My feelings on that, I guess, for the, the what per, I've perceived to be the good of everyone else. Um, I, I think that he appears to be a good and decent person. But what I find myself rooting for is I- in journalism is the truth, just mm-hmm. the truth. It's right. like just having people tell the truth and holding people to the truth. And pointing out when people are telling the truth would be such a radical departure from the last four years. And I saw that the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel uh, had Ron had written an op ed saying that Ron Johnson should resign their senator. And he he's a senator, right? Yep. I saw that. That's right. I saw um, the, I saw the op ed also. And I saw the what you're probably going to mention next. Yes. So he they he asked for space in the newspaper to respond and they let him do it. But they footnoted everything he said that was false and put the actual fact in there, which is, I think, why are we doing that in every publication? Well, we should be doing that,
1: right? And I think it's because journalism has to go through a reckoning of what of of our failures in the last four years, and one of those, I think, very publicly, has been to to treat everyone as though they are straight shooters that they are that they are giving you what they believe to be the truth, and it's clear that there are people who don't do that, and we shouldn't be treating people who are giving us spin and giving us untruth or disinformation with the same respect that you treat the people who are are trying to be accurate and trying to be fair.
0: Yeah. And I mean, this is the, the whole debate about everything that went down in the New York Times newsroom and everything. Like, it, it's great to have a diverse range of voices, right, from all parts of the political spectrum. But when someone is telling lies, you've got to call it out. And, um, I, you know, and I think that the kind of journalism that people like um, Yamiche Alcindor and Wes Lowry are advocating for, where you're not necessarily trying to both sides something, you're just saying here's the, this is the truth, and here's what this person said, and here's what this person said. And I, I really hope that that journalism can do better than it did in the last four years. Right. What I wanted to talk to you about, though, and the reason I brought this up is, um, you, you didn't get to watch it, so it's not going to be the same. But I believe. This is my first conspiracy theory of the entire of the Biden administration. Oh, no. That Jill Biden's feet
1: were absolutely killing her the entire day. Well, OK, so I I did see some photos and I will say I don't understand. I, one thing that I hope we come out of the pandemic with is that no one ever has to wear heels again. And I was Sweatpants disappointed. <laughs> I was disappointed to see women wearing heels today, like with with on a freezing day in January, where they're outside all day with stockings. Like what, why, why are we doing that to ourselves anymore? Michelle Obama, she wore some pants and thank (laughs) you very much for wearing the pants on a cold day, because that is what makes sense. And I'm getting angry about this because I grew up in Nebraska. I spent a lot of time in miniskirts and fishnets as a a teenager, because I wanted to look a certain way. I'm never well, obviously I'm an adult now, <laughs> I, it's not my job would, I mean, maybe in the right context, but not today. And anyway, I just think we need to come on the other side of the pandemic uh, with, the, with, with most of our heels reserved for short occasions you know, I mean, where, yeah. where we really want to wear them.
0: I mean, she was doing that kind of like, that kind of like waddle back and forth walk where you're like, oh my God, I can't put my full body weight on any foot at any time, because why
1: would we ever do that again?
0: Why would we ever do that again? You know, I mean, it's, I mean, look, heels make your legs look better. There's no doubt about it. They make your butt look bigger. They lift everything up. They elongate everything. I'm getting to the point where I just don't care. Like, and I mean, I like a wet, I love a good wedge. Um, I don't know that I'm ever going to go back to like stiletto heels. I, I haven't worn them for a year, I imagine that all those muscles that you need, and that's another thing. Why, do, why are we wearing shoes that you have to take special classes in to strengthen certain muscles so that you can keep them on the entire day without crying? Well, and I think, I think, I hope
1: that something that we've learned from, the, from some of the things that have come forward is like, we're obviously, women are put into heels so that we're uncomfortable all the time and it's hard for us to get around, which makes us less threatening. And I just, I'm not interested in being less threatening. So I'm, I'm again, unless it's an occasion that I really feel like I want to dress up for and it's, but I don't think an all day event where you're outside in January, that is not the time. That is not the time. And I want us, I want us to be able to say as a gender, no more, no more on my terms. I don't want to have to put on heels because it's a nice occasion. I agree.
0: I probably will but I will hate it. And I'll be cursing, I'll be cursing on my breath the whole time. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's so funny. Cause I remember that when the people that made the Nike, like cloud tech, whatever technology went to Cole Han, and then they were looking at, they were taking apart like women's heels
1: to, to see how they were made. They were like, who would ever make a shoe like this? It's crazy. It's crazy. And the thing is like, I understand if you're a bride and it's your day and all of that, and you want to work, absolutely. But a woman is being, you know, is is vice president of the United States. Yeah. like Kamala Harris is not there to look like a pretty, pretty princess. Like she should be able to decide to wear the, you know, Converse. On she it looks like a pretty, that. pretty princess in jeans and Converse. Oh, I mean, exactly she's, right. Yeah. yeah. but those, you know what I'm saying. She doesn't have to, she's not there. She's not there to be eye candy. She's not there to do Miss America. We're not competing with each other for who's prettiest. Wear whatever shoes you want to put your hand on whatever book you are putting your hand on to swear an oath of allegiance to the constitution as vice president. Like, I think that's, I don't think you need to wear heels for that. I'm going to okay. go on the record right now.
0: I completely agree. Steve, I don't know if you got a chance to see Ella Emhoff's. Did I say that right? Ella, uh, Ella Emhoff, right? Uh, Doug Emhoff, who is the second, who's the first, second. No. Yeah. He's the first, second gentleman. Right. He His daughter. So Kamala Harris, a stepdaughter, Ella. She's either like in her late teens or early twenties. She wore this absolutely fantastic coat and, had like her natural curls, which you never see anywhere. I was thrilled.
1: That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's a nice day. It's, 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 hopeful. I think, you know, we're so, we're so deprived of occasions and I, you know, I don't count storming the Capitol as an occasion no. to dress no. up and that's not the kind of dressing up that I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, we, a lot of weddings have been canceled. A lot of memorial services have been canceled. It's like times when you would put yourself together and be in public and greet people and to feel the community around you. You know, we've, we've had those taken away from us. And so to see something like this, where it was, it was obviously different, um, but people, you know, they, they did put on their finery and, and it was, it did feel like a celebratory moment, turning a page in American history. I think it, from an era that a lot of us are really happy to see in the past. Yeah,
0: I agree. And two other things really quickly, cause I want to talk about Patrick Mahomes. Um, Lady Gaga looking like she was the president of Pan Am and then <laughs> Lo working, let's get loud into this land was made for you and me, or this land is your land. This land is my land, whatever it's called. Um, those were two of the highlights i was like, this could not get any weirder.
1: It was fantastic. <laughs> I will be honest. I skipped that because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, that's not for me. That's that is. The people who are there for that, that is, you and I are different.
0: Well, it's for me so that I can talk about it with everybody on Twitter afterwards. I mean, thats, you know, that's I, it's not like, you know, but I just think it's hilarious that when you're, you're out there for an inauguration and you're going to sing, this is your, this land is your land, this land is my land. And then you work
1: one of your hit
0: singles into it. <laughs>
1: Like, it was fantastic. It's like, do you do you need to be self serving on this day? Yeah. On this, why you know? Exactly. And also, a Rod was up there, so I mean, the whole so thing was just see, like, so she tweeted a couple of pictures of them, you know, posing in front of the Capitol, like it was their Learjet, that same kind of <laughs> languid pose that people do, like you know, like, but in but in front of the U.S. Capitol, so it was a little like, oh, is that your building? Like, what is what's this uh, music convey? The rich are what different is- from you and me, Jane. <laughs> That was my one literary reference
0: for the entire show. All right. I want to talk about Patrick Mahomes really quickly before our guest joins us because uh Patrick Mahomes, we all saw him. I mean, he would look like a cartoon character in the in the <laughs> last week's game. Like the only thing that was missing were like cuckoo birds flying around his head and like his eyes spinning around. He he yeah. looked seriously like he was probably knocked out for a bit. He definitely looked concussed. And I was like, well, that's it. Um that, no Patrick Mahomes for the rest of the season, you know, he's done. Um, because I had a kid, my, my, my youngest son had a really bad concussion last year that he sustained in wrestling. And, um, he was out for the entire season. And I was really alarmed to hear that Patrick Mahomes was practicing today because my kid, um, only because the trainers at his school may, you know, were like, "You have to." Even though he seems fine, he can't practice until he gets an evaluation from a neurologist. And I was like, "Okay," thinking this is just going to be a standard thing. He's fine. He had a headache, but now he feels better. Whatever. So we take him to a neurologist, and he this guy specializes in concussions. He's really, really good at what he does. And my kid, I sat there and watched him fail every single cognitive test one after one. Um, it was so alarming. And other than his mood being slightly more, I don't want to say depressed, but more like depressed in like the clinical term, like he's just a little bit quieter than he normally was. I wouldn't have thought anything was wrong with him. Um, So it was extremely alarming to me. And when I see guys who look like they're concussed as badly as Patrick Mahomes was to then
1: hear that he was practicing today, that kind of thing really bugs me. Agree with you on this. Now, the, the you know the the caveat is that we have no way of knowing what Patrick Mahomes' scans are like, what his responses are like when he is being evaluated. So it's impossible to know, um, you know, with with any sort of to, to diagnose him in any kind of way. Um, that said, when you look at how concussions usually work, um, this would have to be a real outlier of a case in order for him to be back on the field a week after sustaining that. And, you know, like, put him in the medical books kind of outlier. And the thing that, I think the reason that there are questions about things like this is because the NFL relies on star power, like the star power of and having the Chiefs, you know, be in a divisional game or, it, you know, a championship game without having their quarterback is obviously going to be a different type of draw. And fewer people are going to be interested in it, and we have, um, and so we have now a situation where we know that the NFL has has not always been great about health and safety when it comes to players and protected players in in times when they needed them. You know, I think of RG three, and the way that, yeah, I mean, their their number. You know, we could go. You could really go through, Um, and just you know, even in players that I covered, like players that would never have made headlines but who deal with long-term uh, health effects from, from their playing days. And so I think, you know, that's, that's the concern is that, okay, so, so Patrick Mahomes, play, what, what are you looking for out of Patrick Mahomes? Are you looking for a game? Because he could probably play in the game. Are you looking for a career though? Are you ensuring his career? And I think obviously that's the most important thing. And the third, the third thing I'll say about it is that if you ask players if they want to play, they're always going to say yes. And that, but that is not a reason for them to play because they understand that their bank account, you know, they can be cut at any moment for any reason and the guaranteed money is not guaranteed. And so I think that players think, well, if I let my team down in this situation, then when I'm up for negotiating my next contract, they're going to be like, well, you let everybody down in this situation. And and saying, well, I was making sure that I didn't get a second concussion in two weeks so that I'm not out of the game forever um, is not necessarily something that, That I mean, you can say it and, and people will understand it, but they understand it not with their hearts. Yeah. And with their hearts, they think you need to play.
0: I watched Patrick Mahomes run off that field. Like he was, you know, weaving on a highway, um, you know, drunk driving. And whenever I've had an issue with this with the NFL for a while, because seeing what an actual concussion evaluation looks like and how long it takes, um, having doctors just, you know, take you in the, in the locker room or take you in the blue tent, look at you for 30 seconds and then go, Oh, okay. You're, you're ready to go. You're good to go. And the guy goes back in the game that as the kids say, ain't it. And you know, the thing is like, our, the guy who treated my son was, was talking about the importance of letting your brain heal before you get back to activity. And he was telling me about a women's soccer player that he treats who had three concussions in pretty quick succession. Um, she is now living at home with her parents, had to drop out of college and she has to learn things. And the example he gave was like how to put a book back on the shelf while holding the other books aside with your hand. Like that is something she has to relearn how to do. And they don't know if she'll ever get back to normal. So, um, God, I hope Patrick Mahomes is okay. Uh, I, I really don't like seeing him out there practicing and I know it was a light practice and they didn't have helmets on and whatever, but I mean, I don't know what's how, you know, what degree of a concussion he has, but just with my experience with it, man, I I hated to see him out there.
1: And it's just, you know, that what happens in the NFL sets, sets the tone for what other athletes think they're capable of. And so it's not so much, you know, Patrick Mahomes is one thing. He could certainly not be fully healed or be re-injured or something could happen that would be really bad for him personally. But, you know, there are kids who are watching these games and they could see that happen and be like, oh, it's not so bad. Absolutely, And that's, that's a problem too.
0: Well, we're going to move on from this topic because joining us now on, in the ladies room, not on the ladies room, inside it, <laughs> and are we doing the show, is the premise of the show that we're in the bathroom? Is that, I mean- is that what, is this more, are we, is the fiction here that we're recording this from inside of the ladies' room? We need more of an echo. If I'm just funny. asking. Yeah. Anyway,
1: joining <laughs> well, us here. Any room that we are in and that we are talking is a ladies' room. Or it like, could be like
0: really one of those ladies. really nice ladies' rooms that have like the salon part outside with the couches and everything.
1: This is like the SNL sketch where yes. the women go to the bathroom and there's a ski slope in there, yes. so they go skiing for a while. Men feeding so they them, and they get a massage. Yeah. that is our ladies' room.
0: Yes. Well, we are excited to have uh, our next guest with us. It is one Nancy Armour, a terrific columnist from USA Today, and also the host of the podcast Changing the Game. How are you, Nancy? I'm good. How are you all doing? Well, it's so great to have you on. We're so happy you're here. We were talking about the inauguration and talking about how today just feels a little bit lighter than the past four years have felt.
2: You know, I was listening to The Daily this morning when I was out walking and there was a woman that they interviewed and it was, I don't know if it was two days, it, I was catching up, I should say. Um, but they interviewed a woman who she said, "I'm I'm ready to just not wake up angry every day. And I was like, I totally understand what you mean. Like, you know, I I feel like every morning for the last four years, I've woken up and actually longer than that. I've woken up, looked at, you know, grabbed my phone, started looking through Twitter and just, you know, could kind of feel like the anger bubbling up inside.
0: You know, I tweeted almost the same thing today, Nancy, and like how I take a deep
2: breath before I look at what's
0: trending on Twitter, because every day is like worse than the day before. Yes. And it's just,
2: I, I said to somebody tonight that um, so, and I've always followed the presidential accounts. I I I, I follow my senators. I follow my representatives just because I feel like as an informed citizen, I should do this. And Biden posted something um, to like early tonight about, you know, I'm hard at work for the people I'm doing, you know, I've signed executive orders for climate change, um, immigration, COVID pandemic, And I looked at it at first and I was like, is this a parody account? Because it was so (laughs) dignified and presidential and serious. I I, I mean, it it really did kind of feel like, are are we being pumped? Um, Um,
1: There was a, you know, we've had a couple of things actually that have intersected with sports from the Trump administration that have, I mean, I think been been really, uh, you know, made things more difficult for for players and and certainly for women who attend college but you know some of those things are encouraging these leagues to get uh, back in the game without having uh, some having good plans some having not good plans for return yeah. i think the encouraging college football to get back was deeply unethical and has led to hundreds if not thousands of coronavirus cases among staff uh and uh, students who play for those teams. And um and then also, you know, Betsy DeVos is no longer going to be the Secretary of Education. And she hollowed out a lot of the protections that young women had enjoyed previously when it came to Title IX. And I know that's something that you've intersected with a lot, Nancy.
2: Yeah, I, you know, it, it's she left women vulnerable on campus. And you know, we see the impact of that. I did I've spent a good portion of the last seven months writing about sexual harassment cases at LSU um, and sexual assault cases at LSU and just how that how awfully they've handled them. And, you know, we saw with some of the, 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 more recent ones, you know, the ones that have been adjudicated in the last year or so, you can see how much the pendulum has swung back to not believing women or not, not protecting women. And that's just, it's so disheartening. And so infuriating. Um, and it's nice to know that, you know, not only is she not going to be around, but the president of the United States now is somebody who, who came up with the Violence Against Women Act. I mean, he is somebody who, this is a cause that he has championed and has a long record of championing that comeback.
1: Well, I think that leadership does make a difference because it sets the tone, but I think it's also this idea of accountability. And if you feel like the watchdogs are asleep, well, then you're going to, you know, try to tiptoe through the city. And that's like, you imagine that we may be you know that that might affect some of the reporting that ends up coming out in the future about things that were done because of you know a lack of accountability or because of a kind of walking back certain things and and there's also the issue of you know this we have a president who who didn't tell uh owners to get those sons of bitches who are kneeling off the field right but an entirely different kind of way of talking about athletes and their humanity.
2: Yeah. And I think that had the former president had his former vice president, not taken that tone, not taken that, you know, been as as bombastic and vitriolic about all of it. I think the conversations would have been different. There wouldn't have been just this, uh, you know, it, it, the, the demeaningness of of some of the conversations and descriptions of some of these athletes, who, you know, when you drill right down to the heart of it, all they are doing is asking for their country to be better, to live up to the ideals that we claim this country up, you know, has and that that we promote, and that's all they're, you know, I don't know of anything more patriotic than doing that, and for the president to call them sons of bitches and to say that they should be fired and to. You know, he I remember being in France for the Women's World Cup and just seeing the things that that President Trump was saying about Megan Rapino as she is overseas representing her country. And, you know, frankly, just being a badass. But how do you how do you do that? Like that's it's it's not OK. It, it wasn't OK. And I'm so glad we're not going to have to deal with that anymore. You know, Nancy, you mentioned
0: the reporting at LSU and obviously USA Today and you, along with Jessica Luther, and I'm sorry, you have to tell me the other pr- reporter involved. Kenny in, Jacoby. Yes. Did this terrific expose on what was happening down at LSU with women reporting sexual assault to the athletic department and the athletic department basically doing nothing about it and covering it up, which is like the oldest story in the book by this point. You know, there were a lot of people circling sort of around that story. I had, I had subpoenas out for LSU. I don't know when exactly, but I know that when that puff piece that on Ed Ogeron was on 60 Minutes, I already had a, a request in for um, like a FOIA request, whatever the state version of that was. And um, I was like, this is not going to age well. USA Today though, you guys, and, and I know LSU is sort of infamous for stonewalling
1: FOIA requests, <laughs>
0: and, but you guys went down there and fought them in court and
2: got the records. Um, what was that process like? Well, that was um, give a, all of the credit for that to Kenny Jacoby. Who, you know, Kenny, this started. Kenny did a story in December of 2019 on it was called Predator Pipeline, and it was basically schools being allowed to "quote unquote" pass the trash that if somebody had been um, convicted or found culpable um, of a sexual or dating violence crime, um, they were able to transfer to schools and that didn't follow them, which is, I mean, how I don't understand how the NCAA, I mean, I do understand how the NCAA would allow it, but come on. Because um money. yeah, exactly. Um and after that, um, the father of one of the athletes who had been raped by Darius Geis reached out to actually I'm sorry, it was the father of um uh, the woman who was, who was abused by Drake Davis, sorry. Um, but he reached out to Kenny and said, I, you know, I have this story. And so Kenny, you know, kind of started pursuing it and then got, you know, pulled off in other directions, but he had, at the time he had filed, you know, FOIA requests for Darius guys, for Drake Davis, for anybody that he was told might know something or might have something. And our, our attorneys backed him up and you know it yeah it would have been easy to say okay well we tried and we're not gonna get this and uh, you know with kenny in particular you do that to him that you know you might as well be throwing meat to a dog because that just Uh sets him off and then he is like 150 million times more determined to get the records because he figures that you're trying to hide something and nine times out of ten you are um so yeah so kudos to our attorneys for, for being willing to go to back for him. And also too, for, you know, Samantha Brennan, the woman who um, we filed to get her police report, you know, she was, when she, when she reached out to us, um, she didn't have any plan to do this. You know, this, you know, she didn't even think I asked her when I talked to her the first time I said, did you file a police report? She said, yeah, actually, I did. And I, I said, would you mind giving me a copy of that? She said, oh, I don't have I don't have that. And I said, well, would you mind calling uh, the police department? I said, because we've asked for other reports on on guys and we're not able to get them or, or yours did, didn't come up. And from that moment on, I mean, and, you know, if you talk to Samantha, she'll tell you this was. It was closure for her. You know, it was she she didn't feel that LSU was taking her seriously and treating her with the respect that she deserved. Um, and she was in, she was furious that it had brushed other cases under the rug. And so she, too, was determined. And it, it, it wasn't about revenge or anything like that. It was it was holding them, them to account. So, you know, it, it kudos to our attorneys and kudos to her for for being willing to have that fight. You know, and and that's something that I I think that gets sort of
0: lost in um, when people talk about journalism and reporting on stories that, you know, like there are entities like LSU who just say like, no, we're not going to give that to you, even though there are laws clearly saying, you know, records laws in every state saying, you know, what you have to give and what you don't have to give. Um, And, um, you know, it, it was I was so glad that someone had the attorney's to go down and do that. And I was, the day that I opened it up, I was like, ah, my story, the story, you know, and obviously it wasn't the same story. It was a completely different woman, but I was so glad to see that it was there and you guys did it so well and did made it, you know, it was, you guys did such a great job promoting it. What do you think is going to happen to LSU going forward? Because here we are a couple months later and it's sort of
2: like, it's, you know, everybody's kind of forgotten about it. Yeah. It, I so they did hire um, Hush Blackwell, which is, you know, if, if you're familiar at all with title line cases, for those who are listening, it's it's um, a law firm that goes in and, uh, you know, kind of assesses your processes, looks at cases, previous cases, and how well you've handled them. Um, it's very similar to the Pepper Hamilton uh, group that investigated Baylor after. So nothing in writing, after. right? Well, that's that is going to be one of the things that we'll have to see. They have not said... How their report is going to be delivered, um, and we're waiting to see. That's you, that is a big question because that's kind of our assumption is that are they are they going to pull a Pepper Hamilton? Um, so, it, you know that is that is supposed to be done. Their investigation is supposed to be done in February. Um, so I'll be curious about that. You know, we, we still have people reaching out to us, um, from, you know, who have been wronged by LSU, not just the athletic department, but, you know, the, the university town line land department yeah. too. Um, so it's, you know, it's unfortunately it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you pull up a, a rock and you find a, a, you know, one bug, there's like 800 others of them. And it's it's kind of like that with this type of reporting, too, is that you uncover one thing and that leads to a whole bunch of other things.
1: So I I don't mean just to, to be too dramatic about a pivot here, but I just feel like this is all part of the same problem that we keep bumping up against over and over again in sports. And you two, I'm sure, are familiar in our in our listeners as well with the Jared Porter story, the Mets GM who was fired after a month on the job when it emerged in a story by ESPN, really well reported, Jeff Pass mm-hmm. and the New York Times on that, um, that he had sent 62 inappropriate text messages, including uh, dick pics, to a young woman from another country who was covering the team that he worked for at the time, which was the Cubs.
0: Shocked. I'm shocked. Yes. Right. <laughs> Nancy, are you shocked? Yeah, just
2: I, I just blown away. I'm Those of us here in Chicago are shocked, Jane. Yeah,
1: and so we have we have a different we have a different atmosphere. We have a different league. We have you know a different sport, professional versus not really amateur. And um, but at the same time, I think it's the same issue, which is these are insular communities uh, that don't have outside voices, don't have women in positions that are being listened to. And where the only question is, is is whether someone's a good guy and then you can hire them as opposed to, um, you know, really questioning character in a way that goes deeper and goes to the appropriateness of behavior. And I also think this has to do with the fact that Kim Ng became the first woman to be named GM ever in Major League Baseball earlier this year. And why did it take her so long. She had been qualified for a decade before getting this job. And it's because of these types of insular communities, which I think frees women out. Because if you'd had Sandy Alderson, who called up King Ng and said, hey, you know, what do you think of this guy? And she'd been like, "Uh, eh, you know, I mean, and again, we don't know if, if, it, if she would have had information. But if you talk to women in the ecosystem who hear things, and you ask whether or not someone's a good guy, you are more likely to hear well, I have this red flag because someone behaved inappropriately with me or with someone that I know directly. Right. Um, and I don't think GMs and people in position of hiring want to hear that because then it means they can't hire the guy they like. And so they'd prefer to not know and they'd prefer to not be told and they're there, therefore they'd prefer it's like, you know, see, like Steve Cohen, who owns the Mets, is' getting all of this credit now because he fired. Uh Jared Porter, which is good. he should have fired him, but it's kinda like getting credit for stopping at a red light, like congratulate <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like it's like well, I don't really know where he wants to stand on on stopping at red lights. I mean that's his business, whether he stops at a red light or not I' am mean, not really I don't really care. um, I just think it's like we get we're so used to these ecosystems that are bringing forth the same problems,
2: yeah, and I think um. I think all of that is true. And I also think there's, you know, the message from the top matters. And we've had for the last four years and for the year prior to that, we had a president who was credibly accused of sexual assault by more than two dozen women um, who repeatedly showed his disdain and disrespect for women. How does that, you know, of course that's going to translate down. Of course that's going to be, you know, it's going to give people permission to think, you know, I don't have to take you seriously. I don't have to treat you with respect. I don't have to treat you professionally. Um, and it's, it is magnified in, like you said, these insular, insular communities. And I, I've often said that baseball to me is the worst of the sports to cover because of, I think it's the most insular of all of them. Um, and it's it's you know, they're still in to a degree living in the 1950s.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. I've got to say 2016 in Chicago, I was not surprised to hear that this happened that year. I'm not surprised to hear this happened under the Cubs. Um, no one was allowed to derail that ride that year. Right. Um, you were just you were a buzzkill. You were looking for things. You were a hater. I mean, all, I am just and and I blame the Cubs for this. Because without the Cubs job, he doesn't get the job in Arizona. Without that job, he doesn't get the job with the Mets. And the Cubs did a really great job of making it look like they really cared about women. I mean, Theo Epstein went out there every time and said exactly the right thing. But every time it came down to it, they they traded for an abuser. They kept an abuser on the team. They had a manager who said stuff like, you know, when... Addison Russell's ex-wife wrote a blog post detailing the abuse. Joe Madden was like, you know, I didn't read it. Should I? Like, it was just this idea. And I think that if you and I know another woman who had one of the PR people sort of like dress her down and embarrass her in front of like all the reporters that were there. Um, it they made the attempt to, you know, have everything look good on the outside, but anyone who was covering that team knew things were not great behind the scenes for women. And nobody wanted to look behind the curtain because it was just too much fun that year.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, we see that and hear that all the time. That, you know, don't don't ruin the fun. And that's that is a message that is given to women all of the time is you know, if, if a woman reports, oh, well, why would you want to bring him down? Um, if, if you bring up issues with a team or a school, why would you do that to them? Um, it's like, well, no, if you could, if you just behave like normal human beings, we wouldn't have to bring all this up. It's not that hard. Um, but you know, we're the bad ones because we don't want women to be abused and harassed and demeaned. Um, it's yeah. it, it and every time that I feel like we're getting better, then something like this happens and it's like oh god no and you know the again. most frustrating thing nancy and the
0: minute i saw this i should have just gotten off twitter but i i had stuck around for some reason and i read replies like i always do and the number of men and i know one of these guys called into the moose and maggie show and maggie gray put it put the video of it up for everyone to see yeah all the guys saying well why would she come forward now five years later just to ruin the fact that he's finally a gm And or all the guys that were like, well, this is just awkward flirting. First of all, can I just say like his attempt at a sexy face and that text was like the fucking dumbest looking thing I've ever seen. Um, but I mean, 60 unresponded to texts that culminate in a dick pic. Like I can't even imagine a woman doing that. Like at some point you would get the message and guys just blow right through it. And the worst part of all of it, was that the number of guys that defend this behavior continues to astonish. And then we had guys saying, okay, I believe that this happened to some of these women, but like the twos out there saying they've been harassed, I don't believe them.
1: Well, I have to say, I have so much respect for Maggie Gray for the way that she just pulled the fucking brake on that. Yeah. right away. She was like, uh, no, we, that is not the way that this happened in this situation. And here, why do you think she didn't come out with it because why do you think she saved the picture? Because women aren't believed. Right. And so if you don't think you're going to be believed and you think you might want to do something about it at some point, you're going to save the evidence that you have so that people know you're not lying. I mean, it's very simple. And one of the details in that story that absolutely killed me was um, she went to HR, the Cubs HR, and then the Cubs HR set her up with a, an employee that they had that was from her country. Yes. And, and the and that employee, that Cubs employee told her that she should probably that he wanted that that Porter wanted to talk to her but he wanted to apologize in person. And you know, that is so absolutely not appropriate to try to put her in a room with somebody who had been sending her that those harassing texts. It's it's an opportunity to harass again. Frankly, he should have been, you know, or somebody at the organization should have been concerned about whether, um, you know, that could be used in a lawsuit. I would imagine. But, you know, that's the other thing is this employer said that he didn't want to be seen to be on one side. You see, you saw the sixty texts. You should be on one side. Yeah.
2: I, it, Why it's been, aren't you on a side? But that's the thing. It's not even a side. It's like it's it is legally actionable behavior. So the only side that you should be on is stopping it and limiting your company's liability. For God's sakes, so if you're if you're not concerned enough about doing the right thing and being a good person, then at least be concerned about your company getting sued. Um, and that's the that's the other thing. I mean, the Cubs came out yesterday with a statement saying, "Oh, we didn't know about it." BS. Like, you know, you had at least two employees who knew because somebody in HR knew and the the employee from the woman's home country also knew. And if your HR person didn't report that up the food chain, I mean, come on, what then what are you doing? Yeah. I've had, I've had the Cubs, I've noticed the Cubs
0: putting out in the past couple of years, several statements that I knew for a fact to be false. So that doesn't surprise me at all.
2: No, no. Um, the other thing that I that really bothers me is, and I've thought about this a lot in the last day or so, um, the standard that women are held to, and, and I've never had this discussion with you two specifically, but I know that you've had this discussion with others. I've had this discussion with others. Um, we're so careful about how we interact with people. You know, how do you ask for a phone number to make it clear that you are asking for source building purposes and not because you think somebody's hot or, you know, you're flirting with them? Exactly. Um, how do you have a conversation in a hotel lobby? Or if you run into somebody at a restaurant, um, how, you know, I've never left my house to go to work without thinking about every single thing I'm wearing and making sure that it can't be misconstrued. Like, And those are things that men just don't have to do and it never occurs to them. And I I go back to all the time when I was covering baseball um, here in Chicago, and this is, I don't know, early 2000s maybe, And one of the beat writers made a comment about a woman and, you know, intimating that she, that, you know, she was only getting information because she was sleeping with somebody. And that reporter later stood up in the wedding of a player. And I'm like, how, why is that okay? Like how you're, you're saying that, a a, you know, you're, you're, you're basically, you know, accusing a woman of sleeping around, but you are but your pals, yeah, you've crossed the line. A, a, a you, you're wrong about the woman, but you have, you know, everything that you're accusing her of, you're crossing the line in the same exact same way. But it's fine because, you know, it's just guys being guys.
0: You know, I, Nancy, it's so true. And I don't know that men realize how fraught this job is for women, particularly women that are interacting with players regularly. I, I was at a uh, convention in the early, uh, it's been like 2014. And uh, there was myself and another woman who were taking little videos of all the players to put on our social media. And um, every player, almost to a one, I wouldn't say every single one, but almost to a one when they were leaving, hey, can I get your phone number? Can I get your phone number? Hey, my hotel room, I'm in this room if you want to stop by, you know, I've, almost every single one. And I just don't think that men realize that for a lot of these guys, because they've never seen anything different that, um, and there's certainly a lot of players that are super professional and are absolutely mm-hmm. great to cover, but there are some guys and in particularly, I think there are some clicks and groups on teams that are really, um, you know, this is just how they operate. And I, I'm so glad that I'm not going into locker rooms and stuff anymore because everything about it is just uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. I would like to point out also that that this this woman who is not identified in the ESPN story had met Jared Porter once before right. she's getting all of that. Right. Now, I, I spoke I covered the Jets back in 2010, and that was the year that um Jen Sturger uh got dick pics from Brett Favre. From Brett Favre yeah. And she had not ever met him at all. He had gotten her phone number so, and she's not sure how it happened, but she'd never even had a conversation with him or said hello to him before she got those pictures. So
2: it's not even, it's not anything that anybody does. Right. It's just the, the feeling of entitlement. That it's some, a power thing. Yeah. It's, that some men have beyond it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, and that's why I go back to, like I said, you know, in 2014, obviously uh, predated president Trump, but that it's that entitlement that we've seen Uh, you know, very much up close to the last four plus years. And, you know, that concerns me or worries me what kind of message has been sent to um, young men and boys about what's acceptable, what, you know, how you, how you look at women, because it's, that's, that's not right. I mean, it's, it's what, what in your, what makes you feel that you have the right to do that, that you are entitled to see some woman as they're simply for your entertainment or amusement or pleasure. Like that just, we have to break that cycle. And and I, I don't know how we go about doing
1: that. I think it's another generation now that it's, that it's going to be an issue at least, at least,
0: well, you know, the thing that was so crazy was the guy, the guys on Twitter that were like, well, this is what you, I mean, you send out to a bunch of people and you cast a wide net. And if one or two women is into it, then, you know, you're, you're all set. And I was just like, no. Yeah. No. No. Has no one told, you no. like just unbelievable.
2: Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think there's, there's this, and it's the perception of why women have gotten into sports, you know, aside from the fact that we like sports and we like writing or, or broadcasting or whatever. Um, but, you know, if you put that in a different, you know, I, I've tried to compare it to, okay, if you were working in a school, um, and these were fellow teachers or a principal and a teacher. Would you think that's appropriate? And the response is always, oh my God, no. Okay. Well, then why is it appropriate in my industry or in the financial industry or, you know, whatever male-dominated industry you want to substitute? Um, and I I, I think if you can put it in that perspective, it it seems to resonate with people a little better, but still, but yeah, it's just it's it's exhausting.
0: So, Nancy, uh, before we let you go, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you um, about the NFL playoffs coming up. Uh, We were talking before you got on about Patrick Mahomes practicing uh, today, which I do not think is a good idea, but nobody cares what I think. Um, (laughs) What are you looking forward to? What
2: are you watching for coming up? Um, Well, you know, obviously what happens with Mahomes if if he is cleared tomorrow? Because it sounds as if he's probably in phase three or stage three of the, the concussion protocol right now. Um, so I think tomorrow is going to be big for that. Um, you know, I love the fact that the bills are in the playoffs. I think the NFL is better when you have a team like the bills and the Browns, um, you know, that it's not just the traditional Patriots and, you know, whoever else gets in. Um, I, I, I'm hoping like I really would like to see some cold and snowy weather at Lambeau because it's it's really fun to see a game when it looks like a snow globe there. And also too, I'd be kind of curious to see like, you know, can Tom Brady function in cold weather now or is he just really become Florida man? Um, so so those are the things I'm looking forward to. You know, it's hard. I think what Brady's done is incredible, but I also think, you know, I, I follow the Packers because I covered them for a season. That's a really good team. Like they've just got some really good personalities. Um, if you don't like, um, uh, Adams, then I, I, I just, you know, you're not doing life right. And he's just a good, from a media perspective, he's a good solid guy. Um, and it's, it's just kind of fun to see a team gel like that. Um, so yeah, some of all, some of all of those things. And I don't think it's fun at all. Well, yeah, you're from Chicago. (laughs) Um, but also what I would really like to see is like the chiefs just run it up and and drub somebody like 75 to nothing so that all of these stupid owners who are not hiring Eric the enemy can just yeah you know be miserable because that just in that also enrages me.
0: Yeah, it really yeah. does. And you know, I, just real quick, I mean, I've heard that you know he doesn't want to talk until after the playoffs that he is
2: waiting for the perfect job. Is that really what's happening or is no. he just not getting interviews? He's not well, he's getting interviews, but they're not going anywhere. You know, if you look at and somebody pointed this out the other day that of the, you know, yes, yeah, so you've had black coaches get interviews. Number one, the Rooney rule now requires head coaching. You have to interview two people who are classified as a minority person of color. Um, you know, women are not classified as minorities. Um, and so guys are getting interviews, but I don't believe that there's been any, um, black coach who has gotten a second interview. Um, now, obviously, the Jets hired Robert Salah, but he is um, he's of Middle Eastern descent. He's Lebanese. So um, not a black coach. And, you know, you hear all these whispers about, oh, the doesn't interview. Well, BS. you know, I, somebody could be could be mute and deaf. And if he could, you know, if he's going to win you a football game and he's white, an owner would give him a job. So right. all of this is just it's you know, it's the same old crap. And it just, you know, I, I, I do give the NFL credit. I think the NFL has done everything it can to change this, but until these, and they are for the, you know, almost exclusively old white men start realizing or, or start hiring people of color, then it does not make a difference.
1: I mean, they really are church and state, I think when you get it the difference. I mean, the NFL can be as progressive as it wants. It can get behind social causes. It can, you know, Roger Goodell can said that he can make a mistake about
2: Colin Kaepernick. Um, None of it matters. Right. None of it matters because the owners aren't hiring. Exactly. Exactly. And until you get somebody, you know, until Jerry Jones is convinced to hire somebody of color as the face of his team, it's not going to change. And that is so incredibly frustrating. And it's just, it's, it's just, you know, we're 2021, 20, you've got more than two thirds of your players are people of color. It's long, long past time that the coaching staffs reflect that. And I, you know, I don't know
0: what more needs to happen. Well, that's a that's a great last word to leave this on, Nancy. <laughs> um,
2: Nancy Armour,
0: make sure you read her over at USA Today. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at n r Armour, and make sure you check out her podcast Changing the game, give her a good rating and subscribe and listen every single time she drops an episode. Nancy, it was so great having you on. We're so grateful for your time. Uh, Hope that you have a great rest of the
2: week. Thank you. You too. And it was great to talk with you both. So,
0: Nancy's the best. I'm so glad she was able to join us. One thing we should have asked her about before she left was the Pam Oliver stuff that happened on Sunday, Um, Pam Oliver, Pam Oliver, the longtime uh, sideline reporter in the NFL. And you know, Pam Oliver is one of those people that I feel like everyone is either like really close friends with her or looks at her as a mentor because she's, she's helped and guided so many women through this. Every time Pam Oliver is on Twitter, just piles on her. It's either like talking about her hair, talking about what she's wearing, talking about the way she's talking this time. Uh, While she was standing out in 30 degree weather at Lambeau for, I don't even know how long. Oh, maybe it was Kansas City, wherever she was. Um, She was standing on the sideline and you could tell she was freezing cold. And, you know, anyone who works in broadcasting knows that you have to warm up your mouth, you have to warm up your throat, your voice. Like sometimes it just doesn't cooperate. And she was, you know, she struggled to get through a segment, which has happened to everyone in broadcasting. And it's just immediately number one topic on Twitter, Pam Oliver, and just a bunch of people, including young women, just dragging her. And I'm just sort of like, do you guys have any idea who Pam Oliver is in this industry, what she means to women in this industry? I'm so tired of seeing it.
1: And she's had very public issues with her contract with making sure that her stature remains and that she can continue to do her job, the the critique that she gets is both internal and external. And I think you have to look at what she represents and how she's had to work so hard as a black woman in broadcast journalism, uh, being a sideline reporter for as long as she had, she has really had to fight in order to maintain her position. And she's obviously, she's excellent, obviously, those, uh, conditions are difficult for anybody to work in. Um, so I, I just, I think it's, you know, unfortunately it really just says, it says more about us than it does about her.
0: Yeah. And I really, I'm just, I'm so sad for her. I'm sure she sees it. It's got to suck. I mean, I know how it feels to have people on Twitter talking about me, much less being the top trending topic on Twitter worldwide. It just, <laughs> it sucks.
1: I've heard, but you so- know what? I, I mean, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine, you know, she's got to shut it down and not be so aware of it at some point. You know, like Jamel Hill, when we were talking to her, because she gets not just the sexism, she gets the racism, yeah. delightful cocktail of Twitter trolling. Um, and you and I are only subjected to the one and not the other. Right. And, and I, I just think at some point you have to, you just have to turn it off. And, you know, you can't, you can't turn that spigot of garbage into your life it'll drive you nuts. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully she doesn't listen, but so, and also she has spent an entire career disproving critics. So maybe she looks at it as a, you know, challenge, you know, I eat trolls like you for breakfast in the morning, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Where- you know It
0: was, was so great watching. Um, I think it was, I don't know which interview it was with Kamala Harris, but she said, I eat no for breakfast. And I was like, that is so great. I want to have that like tattooed on my body somewhere. I eat no for breakfast.
1: Yeah. I think you kind of have to have you kind of have to have that attitude. And and I think you have to, even if you're not fully convinced of it when you first put that attitude on, you know, hopefully you get more convinced of it the more you use it. It's kind of like an 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 invisibility cloak. You know, it gets yeah. you get more invisible each time you use it. Um, I just think I I think that's the kind of attitude you have to have. But but you know what? Like, I'm sure, I'm sure Kamala. Harris and, and Pam Oliver could sit down and have a conversation and find that they had a lot of things in common. For sure, for sure. So
0: what are we going to do now that we don't have to spend all our time grinding our teeth and catching up on the news of the day with the new administration? I mean, obviously you'll keep on top of the news, but I don't think it's going to be quite as intense as it was before.
1: Well, I think, honestly, I think the COVID news, because we've it's been so mixed in with so much other uh, really awful current events and, and, you know, that the kind of the trauma of the last two, three weeks of the Trump presidency, I I think we're going to find out more about how COVID is affecting us. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if at the very end, it gets worse this winter. And so, I mean, I, I kind of don't think the clouds part yet, unfortunately, and we have to be doing to me. What am I, am I making you sad? Sorry. Well, um, you know, here's, what, here's a, here's a black cloud lining for your silver lining. Here's a black cloud for your silver lining. Okay. Um, no, but I think that, and I think it's going to affect sports as well. I mean, I think, you know, we already see what's happening with the NBA and that's going to be. An issue going forward as well. I'm sorry, Julie, My my brain is talking Christmas
0: movies again. Let's talk I'm about Christmas. I'm gonna pull it, I'm gonna pull it back around. Yeah. So is there anything that you're um gonna catch up on now? I mean, I don't know about you, but I spend you know three hours a night watching the news. And you know, and and just
1: I think just for the comfort of hearing other people say, like, yeah, this is crazy. Um, I, you know, I watched Homeland and I actually I'm on I was on season six and it got too real. Because that's when, like, the president... Oh, I the, thought you meant you were on season six. I was like, you were? Well, like, like, you were in
0: it. Like, you were in oh, the show. No, no, no.
1: <laughs> I've never been good. I could have played, like, um, I don't know, somebody. I'd have played president. does <laughs> it weird you out that Homeland is always, like, 18 months ahead of things that actually happen? Well, that's why I had to... I have to say the last month I had to really pause my, my Homeland watching because... In it, we have the, one of the main characters is getting really wrapped up in like the online troll farm world and the female president is being abused by like some, you know, right wing, you know, people who are disparaging her and her dead son. I mean, it it just became like a little bit too, too much. My husband
0: always makes fun of me because I'm always like, Homeland predicted all of this like four seasons ago.
1: <laughs> so know, it's just like, be shut up about Homeland. I, I was like, I kind of am like, well, I think maybe I'm just going to wait for the, uh, the last two seasons until I'm in a space where I can emotionally handle it a little bit better. So maybe that's coming. Like, I'll maybe say this. I'm going to sit down and I'll watch seven and eight seasons. It
0: was the ending, the l- final season is absolutely worth it.
1: Well, It's coming up because I had to, I had to pause. I was like, I was watching the finale of season six and I was like, all of a sudden I like felt how stressed my body was because it was like, so it was just too, it was too real. And you had, yeah, it was just too real. So
0: I think I'm going to dive into Queen's Gambit. Oh yeah. Which I haven't watched yet. Neither have I. Oh, you haven't. I thought I was like the only person that hasn't watched it. I I was, I was like wondering if I should admit it.
1: <laughs> that I'm. That <laughs> I've. Tragedy where Netflix wouldn't show up on the TV anymore. Oh no! I know. I know. I don't. Yes. I mean, you know, pour out a little for the Netflix. Um. So, and I don't like watching TV on the computer. So I actually mm. have to hook it back up to the TV, which is something that has, it takes more emotional energy than I really have. It seems like a whole thing It does.
0: It's like when, when like a show that I love comes on TV and I'm watching, you know, and my my husband's like, you know, you can get this on Netflix. And I'm like, yeah, but then I got to do the whole thing, go into the, you know, I've got to get the remote. I've got to go into Netflix. This is just easier. It's just on. (laughs) Have you watched Watchmen by the way,
1: speaking of of programs that predict the future? Yes. Watchmen was terrific. It is essentially now a documentary. Yeah. It It turned from being comic book fiction into a straight (laughs) documentary. Well, that's the thing. Like if you listen to the podcast that went along
0: with it, I don't know if you did or not. I did. Okay. So the whole idea that, you know, at the time they did the first Watchmen, like the big issue was nuclear proliferation, but now our biggest issue is race. And so that's they you know, crafted a story around that. I thought it was terrific. And I was, um, I thought it was so perfect. I'm actually glad there aren't going to be more seasons because I don't want anything to ruin or mar or jump the shark with that perfect season.
1: I I see where you stand with that. And especially because the people who put it together also put together Lost, which got into a complete quagmire that at the did. end. But
0: Still mad about it.
1: I know. But at the same time, I'm like, Regina King? Like, that cast is incredible. Like. Yeah. I kind of like okay, so maybe you don't do a season two of Watchmen. Get that cast together again and do something else. And if it's something else, right? Because they're so good. They were so good. Anyway, yeah, I, I, that would be like if you ha- if, if if our listeners have not yet watched Watchmen, that is the thing that you can now watch in this era without crying yourself to sleep every night.
0: Yeah, you still might cry, but it won't be like it was before. Hopefully, hopefully, Tom Hanks has been on my TV for a really long time, and I'm not sure why. Um,
1: okay. Is, are you watching Big? Is someone watching Big? No, I'm watching MSNBC.
0: And oh. Tom Hanks just keeps being there. Apparently, this is some kind of inaugural celebration
1: with Tom Hanks. Again, unnecessary. Sure. Like we said at the beginning, like I'm not interested in the Gagas and the J-Los. Oh, speaking of which, Garth Brooks sang. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You knew about that? Well, I so I was in the car, as I said, and I was listening to the inauguration. And when he came on, I started... Switching channels to see if somebody was maybe not doing the Garth Brooks simulcast, and finally, <laughs> finally, BBC World Service, which is also on my serious um, presets, was doing commentary over Garth Brooks, and so I was like, "Okay, this is this I can handle."
2: I'm I really was hoping
1: after J
0: Lo's foray, I wanted him to just go from Amazing Grace right into Friends and in Low Places, just
1: <laughs> just bang the whole thing out, get it over with. This is what Biden means by unity. He means J-Lo and Garth Brooks. <laughs> Garth Brooks. I haven't seen Garth Brooks
0: in like a million years. I completely forgot about Garth Brooks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the funniest thing, Josh
0: Gondelman, who is this hilarious comedian. He's um, he's the lead writer. Now he used to write for a John Oliver show. Now he writes for he's the head writer for Desus and Marrow, which for my money is the best late night show on TV. He kept saying stuff like, I, "like following him on Twitter was just hilarious." Because when Lady Gaga's out there, he's like, "Do shallow, make Joe Biden <laughs> sing
1: the Bradley Cooper part." <laughs> that would be. See, that really could bring everyone together. That Wouldn't I mean, can you imagine Joe Michigan walking up there Donald in his aviators, Joe Biden and yeah. Lady Gaga, right, bringing us all together.
0: All right. On that note, I feel like it's time to wrap this thing up. <laughs> or I can we just keep going on about the absurd. Yeah. I can just keep going on about the inauguration. But we are going to wrap it up. Thank you to everyone uh, for joining us this week. Thanks to our terrific guest, Nancy Armour. Uh, we hope that you guys will give us a follow on social media at Jane Sports and at Julie DeCaro. And if you like the show, we hope that you'll subscribe, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating. I think we're up to two
1: stars now, Jane. Oh, it's so good. Everyone with a bullet. wait you'll you'll call your you'll call the trolls out to give us more ones i'm i know i I find it amusing at this point
0: that's why i can't say anything on twitter you know they're gonna do this to my book too when my book comes out it's gonna have like one star on amazon yeah but it'll be a bestseller like our podcast right actually we've been looking at the numbers and we're pretty excited so thanks to everyone that's been tuning in and listening it's been it's been pretty great listening we're here for you
1: too watch watchmen
0: watch watch watchman uh let me know if i should check out the queen's gambit i think i'm going to and uh we will see you guys next week in the ladies room